Oh, we are here. We are ready to go. New Up Radio. So good to be with you today. We're going to begin a brand new series. Oh, that's going to be a good one. <clears throat> it really is. I consider this the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. What do you think that is? What's the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached? Well, it's got a title. It's titled after where he preached it. He preached it on a mount. He calls it the Sermon on the Mount. It's a long one. Oh yeah, it went on for quite a while. There's an aspect of the sermon called the Beatitudes. That's where we're gonna pick it up. The Beatitudes, the blessings. The way to blessing, that's what that's about. You know, if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, it was perhaps one of the most known and impacting of all sermons that Jesus or any man ever preached, to be honest, anybody at all. And Jesus, he didn't so much preach the Sermon on the Mount to show the way of salvation. But really, it was to show the way of righteousness. That was important to him. Because righteousness is the basis for a relationship with God. That's what that's all about. You got righteousness, you got a relationship. So the section we're going to look at today is called The Beatitudes. Oh, I like that name. The Beatitudes. In this section of his sermon, he gives the way of uh, blessedness. How to find blessedness. And that's why it's good to learn the Beatitudes. Two reasons why you want to learn about the Beatitudes. Number one, to show us how to live right now here on planet Earth. It's important. How do you live on the Earth as a follower of Christ? The Beatitudes helps us with that. Secondly, to bring joy through being blessed. It's all about how to get joy. The word blessed, makarios, it means supreme. It means fortunate. Oh, how about this one? Well off. I like that. Happy. Yeah, we can, we're going to use that word happy today. And again, it's not happy because everything's going Everything's, like the song says, coming up roses. No, it's happy because there's something going on inside your heart. You have a true perspective. That's where happiness comes from. So Jesus lived in a day when most people were poor and they were oppressed. And you know the Jewish people, they were in bondage to the Romans. Oh, those Romans, they were mean. They were bullies. So here we've got the contrast that Jesus makes of the new way with the old way. And maybe that's another way to look at the Beatitudes. He's contrasting a new way with the old way. And then he goes on to list nine ways to find this blessedness, which is really joy. And again, we can call it happiness. So let's just kind of take a look at what is the Sermon on the Mount, 
because it is such an important message. And let's kind of see where we're going with it. We're in Matthew 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them. And here's what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Oh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Oh, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. Except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Oh, wasn't that a great sermon? I mean, there's so much more, but if you think about the things that Jesus just said. So we're going to examine them and kind of pick them apart a little bit. Let's go all the way back to verse 1, Matthew 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. One person said, the Sermon on the Mount is, in effect, King Jesus' inaugural address, explaining what he expects of members of his kingdom. Wow, it's like, this is how you act as a follower of Christ. You know, Jesus often, as other rabbis did, would teach standing or walking. Oh, but when a teacher sat, it meant he was speaking in a very official way. And what does it say in Matthew 5.1? He sat down. Hmm. Why did he sit down? Oh. See, we speak of the professor's chair. And in the Roman Catholic Church, when the Pope speaks from his chair, it's called ex cathedra. And they consider it, he was speaking 
from God. So Jesus sat down in verse 2. He opened his mouth and he began to teach them. Opened his mouth. There's a lot of significance. You know, every word in the Bible is intentional. And opened his mouth, not just that he said something, but it means he gave a weighty saying. That phrase is used when a person is speaking from their heart. And then he began to teach them. The imperfect tense means this was not a one-time sermon of Jesus. No. It wasn't like one sermon in one place at at one time. But it was something that he continually and habitually taught. We could call this the official teaching of Jesus. Okay? Sermon on the Mount. The official teaching, and perhaps he would always go back and visit parts of that sermon throughout his ministry. The Sermon on the Mount is the summary of everything else he taught to his inner circle of disciples. So, if you really want to learn, you got to get close, and you got to stay close to Jesus. People on the, fr- on the fringe, they'll never learn as much as those that are close to to Jesus. So let's take a look at these Beatitudes, uno a uno, <laughs> one by one. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, blessed. The word means more than happy, because happiness is an emotion dependent on outward circumstances. Blessed here refers to the ultimate well-being, and distinctive spiritual joy of those who share in salvation of the kingdom of God. Again, it always has to do with what's going on inwardly. Remember, Jesus lived when the Jewish people were poor. They were oppressed by the Romans. So when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the word are, you know, it's not in the original language. But it was inserted there to make the English more understandable. But the statement is more of an expression than it is a statement. It should read like this. Oh, the blessedness of the poor in spirit. And what Jesus is saying is to be poor in spirit is a source of inner joy. I'm like, what? Yes. To be poor in spirit can be a source of inner joy. It's more of an expression of being rather than a future hope. You know, it's not like blessed are the poor in spirit. One day, okay, you're going to have that one day. In other words, your blessing will come later when you get to heaven. No, he's talking about blessedness right now. Right now, you can have blessedness. Okay? You don't have to wait till you get to heaven. Even though you're poor in spirit, you can have blessedness now. So, like Psalm 1 verse 1, how blessed is the man? Or you could say, the blessedness of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, when he's not walking in the counsel of the wicked, he has blessedness today. He has joy today. This is not a future blessing. This is a present blessing right now. So he's talking to the Jews. Listen, those Romans, 
Those big, bad, bully Romans, I know they oppress you and they bully you, but you know what? They crush your spirit. You can have joy in spite of it. When your spirit is down, you can have joy today. Oh, you can have joy in the midst of it. That's what Jesus is saying. You can have joy in the midst of your difficult times. Blessed are the poor. It's the word patakas. And it means to have absolutely nothing at all. So it's like in their spirit, they're just deficient. Like they get up and go, got up and went. You know, it's a deficient spirit. One person said, Oh, the bliss of the man who has realized his own utter helplessness and has put his whole trust in God. For he alone can give to God that perfect obedience to fit him for the kingdom of heaven. Something about that broken spirit, oh, it does something to us. You know what it does? It makes us sensitive to God. So in your broken spirit, you can still have joy. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. To mourn means to grieve. We know that we mourn for the love, for the loss of a loved one. But Jesus is saying, happy is the one who mourns for this broken world and for his own sin. For out of his sorrow, he'll find the joy of God. You know what we find from God when we acknowledge our sin? Grace. The grace of God. God's grace is there. God's favor. God's forgiveness is there. Maybe it's a picture of one who can find what I call beauty in darkness. Can you find beauty in darkness? Jesus said, you can. You can. Verse 5, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, the gentle. These are those that are mild. They're humble. Another definition is to not take something by force. I really like that verse, that definition. To not take something by force. And didn't Jesus possess gentleness? He's even described in Matthew 21, 5, as he rode into Jerusalem, Behold! Your king is coming to you, gentle, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, a beast of burden. See, Jesus didn't come to take the kingdom by force. No, he came meekly and humbly, and he waited for it to be given to him by his father. That's what he did. He, he knew how to wait. He knew if he did what he needed to do, God the Father would do what he needed to do. Oh, isn't that a good lesson for us? Isn't that a good lesson? Like, okay, if we do what we need to do, God the Father will do what he needs to do. And that's why we need to be patient. We need to be humble. We need to be people that know how to wait on God. Happy is the one. He's in no rush, and the earth belongs to him. 
So what do you do? You stop striving to get it. No more striving. I try to learn that lesson as often as I can. You know what? If you got to strive, it's not of God. If you got to fight and force it to make it happen, it's not of God. If it's of God, it'll come. And it'll happen. And it'll work. And there'll be no striving. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst. You know the word hunger. You know, it doesn't mean like, yeah, I could go for a bag of chips. No. (laughs) No, it means to crave. To crave. Thirst means to thirst for. You're craving. You know, like when you're really, really hungry. You crave something and like, you're not going to stop till you get it. You're not going to be satisfied till you get it. So this is a deep craving for spiritual blessings. You hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. Happy is the one with a spiritual appetite and hunger for the blessings of God. For he has found true satisfaction. See, these are the things that make us ask ourselves, Am I craving the things of God? Or am I like, yeah, you know, I'm all right. I know, I know. I'm, I accepted Jesus. I said the prayer. I'm okay. I get to church when I can. Yeah, I don't have time to read the Bible though. You know, that's not craving. Craving is like, you can't get enough. You just want more and more. There's a lot of people like that, thankfully. Oh yeah, we need those people people that crave God's righteousness. Oh, they want to see things made right, put right. They don't want to see conflict. They don't want to see abuse. They don't want to see, oh, the things that are going on in this world, they are crazy. They want to see the righteousness of God. Oh, we want to see the righteousness of God reigning over the earth. That will come one day in the millennial kingdom. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, oh, this is good, receive mercy. You want to get mercy? You got to receive mercy. I mean, you got to give mercy, right? You want to get it? You got to give it. Who are the merciful? Those that are compassionate. They give mercy. Happy are those who feel what others feel and show compassion. See, that's mercy. For they will know the mercy of God. Mercy comes from feeling what the other person feels. You know who I think of? I think of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan comes walking down the road to Jericho and he sees a man, there he is, look at him, lying in a pool of blood. Clothes are all ripped up. Some are taken. He's hardly breathing. So all this stuff is gone. He's got nothing. And the Samaritan comes along and says, Oh my God, look at this guy. And he takes out wine and oil and mends his, cleans his wounds and wraps them up. And he puts them on his donkey. And he goes all the way back to the inn. Sets them up in the inn. He says to the innkeeper, take care of this guy. 
And if it costs you more than I'm giving you right now, when I come back on my return trip, I'll pay you. That's mercy. And you know, that Samaritan, he must have had a good reputation with the innkeeper because the innkeeper trusted him. Oh, is what does that tell us about our reputation? Very important. Are you a trustworthy person? I hope so. So this guy probably stayed at the inn a few times, always paid his bill, maybe left a tip, so he could be trusted. But that's mercy. That Samaritan felt what the guy left half dead on the side of the road was feeling. The guy was feeling bad, <laughs> really bad. And when the Samaritan saw him, you know what? He felt bad too. Wow. You know, that's a good Christian characteristic. I know a lot of you are like that. A lot of you that are listening, you look at someone and you feel what they feel. You do. When they hurt, you hurt. They ache, you ache. And it's such a, you know, it's a sensitive thing. It's a godly thing. If you can do that. If you're moved by the plight of someone else, you are a merciful person. And you know, see, here's what Jesus said. You'll get mercy when you need it. Oh yeah. When the day comes that you need compassion from someone, God's going to see to it that you get that compassion. You will. Like what Solomon said, cast your bread upon the water and after many days, it'll return to you. I believe whatever you invest in life and in people, it'll come back. It'll come back. You love people, love will come back. You help people, help will come back. You're generous with people, it'll come back. Whatever it is, you reap what you sow, right? That is a natural as well as a spiritual principle. Whatever you sow, that you shall also reap. So when you sow mercy and compassion, oh, it's coming back. Oh, yes, it is. And you know when it's coming? Just when you need it. Oh, just in the nick of time. Just, you go, well, I needed that. <laughs> I needed that mercy. Uh, I needed that compassion. Oh, yes, I did. That's what God does. One more. You know, I'm not going to have time to finish this today. That's okay. We'll come back next time. And this will be a two-part message. Okay? Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, this is the beatitude of self-examination. How do you know if you're pure in heart? you got to look. you got to look into your heart. And you got to see what's going on there. A pure heart is a clear heart. A clean heart. You know, it takes a washed window to see the beauty of the outside. It takes a clear heart to see the beauty of Woo, here it comes, of God. It takes a clear heart to see the beauty of God. Maybe, oh, I'm convinced. That's why so many people, they don't see the beauty of God. You know why? Heart's not right. Heart's dirty. It's like you're looking through a filthy, dirty window and you say, oh, you see that colorful bird over there? And they're like, no. Oh, you don't see that little bird? No. Why? Oh, the window's too dirty. I can't see through it. I can't see that pretty little bird. 
So you wash the window. Now the window's clean. You see that little bird over there? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's beautiful. Why could you see the beauty of that little bird? Because you washed the window. How can you see the beauty of God? You cleansed your heart. The problem today is not God. The problem today is people. Their hearts need to be washed. They need to be cleansed. Happy is the one with pure motives and keeps his heart clear and clean so he can see God. How important it is, isn't it, to see God working in your life. I call it the hidden hand of God, right? You want to see God working in your life because that helps explain a lot of things. When things are going on in our lives and it's like, we don't know why, and we're confused and we can't figure it out, okay, with a clear heart, I can see God. And I can see what God is doing and where God is leading me. And you know what I am? Blessed. And what does blessed mean? Inner joy. It's a happiness on the inside. It's a joy on the inside. So you see, wow, no wonder this is like the greatest sermon Jesus ever preached. <laughs> We're just touching the tip of it. Because you know when Jesus preached the sermon, right? man, it went right to the heart. That's the thing. When Jesus spoke, he touched people's hearts with his words. And that's why they flocked to him. He wasn't just an academic educator. Anybody can do that. Anybody can read a script. But Jesus, he went deep. He went beyond the intellect into the heart. And you know, when Jesus spoke, they felt it. Oh, yeah, they felt it. And you know what they said? We like it when Jesus teaches because then we feel good. I want to feel good. <laughs> do you? Then let's get into Jesus' teachings. That's all we do. I love the Gospels. Read the Gospels. There's Jesus in action. There he is. Let him touch your heart with the things that he says. Let him clear your mind. Wash that window so you can see God. Hey, listen. Don't forget about the Hope Club podcast. Type it in anywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. You can just type it in online. It'll get there. It's also on our website, newhopecc.tv. And by the way, you can email me. You get a comment. You get a question. You want a topic you want me to teach on? Newhoperadio7 at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>